The Culture Guy Podcast, Episode 8. Today with a special guest from Down Under... Welcome back to the Culture Guy Podcast. This is episode eight, and today we're talking with a friend of mine from Sydney, Australia. This is the Culture Guy Podcast, the show dedicated to those of you who are passionate about cultures and how culture influences everything we do. The way we talk, the way we listen, the way we act or react, the way we feel and the way we see the world. As those of you who have been following this program know, this is a show as a place for you to connect and engage with other people from around the world who care about cultural understanding, who care about making meaningful global connections and fostering diversity. Together, we will learn on this show how culture shapes all of our behaviors and how we can inspire, motivate, lead, and communicate better across cultures. Join me, I'm your host, Christian Hoeverle, also known as The Culture Guy, and this is our journey to becoming agents of peace. Yes, agents of peace, because I'm a firm believer that together we can make this world a more peaceful place by helping people from different cultures understand each other better. And I had to take a moment there to reflect on what I was going to say. Yes, agents of peace, because culture is not only something that hangs in a frame in a museum or is a sculpture or is the way we dress or is the way we cook our food and eat our food and the way we talk and use our language. Culture is behavior. Culture is how we build rapport with each other, how we make sure that we have effective, efficient business relationships and personal relationships. And that can be different depending on which culture you interact with and depending on which culture you're from. And today, I have a guest with me that I've been working with for quite a while now. He's from down under in Sydney, Australia. However, he's been around the block, as we say. He's been to different cultures, different countries, and his work is unique. Johnny is a master, a master in NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. And, I mean, I can't praise him enough. The, this man, if you ever are interested in working in the field of NLP, this is the person you want to work with. I've been to many courses. I've done a lot of education for myself on perfecting my skills in NLP, and I have yet to meet somebody who can do this more proficiently than Mr. Johnny Cass. So without further ado, let's talk to Johnny. 
Georgia in the good old southern United States, sitting here with Mr. Johnny Cass from Australia. Johnny, welcome on the program. Thanks, Christian. Great pleasure to be here. Well, thanks for making time. Welcome. So, Johnny, you've been working across the world for, what, 15, 15 odd years, mainly in the Anglo-Saxon world, but also in Southeast Asia. Want to tell our audience real quick what your work and life experience around the world has been? Um, yeah, I guess I've always really wanted to travel around the world. I didn't come from a very wealthy background. And so <clears throat> the idea of being able to pay to travel always fascinated me. And uh, I always had a fascination with America. And I guess uh, I almost saw myself living in America. Um, but then I ended up living in the UK. So I've been very fortunate to have traveled around the world as a motivational speaker for the last 15 years. I was working with a company in the US and uh, we had offices throughout Australia, the UK, Ireland, um, and throughout Asia, and throughout Australia. So yeah, I was very fortunate to be able to travel to those places. All right. Um, for those people that are not too familiar with the Anglo-Saxon world or have a, a limited experience with the English-speaking countries, there's often the stereotype that, well, your, your native language is English, so you must be very similar. And as uh, George Bernard Shaw once um, wisely said, the UK and North America, two countries separated by a common language, I think the same could be said about Australia and the UK or Canada and New Zealand. So w in your experience, how different was the UK, how different are the United States to behavioral norms in everyday life and work compared to Australia? Yeah, it's, it's, it's such a great question that you're posing because, you know, we sometimes do tend to, you know, put Australia, America and the US almost into the same category, you know, because they're English speaking countries. Um, but the truth is, number one, culturally, they're very, very different countries. Um, and if you, from my perspective anyway, if you were to look at the sliding scale, for want of a better word, uh, on one side of the equation, you've got the UK. Um, which on the surface, and notice I say on the surface, um, they would appear to, be, appear to be quite reserved and almost quite cold in many ways. Um, that's on the surface. Underneath all of that, it's a whole different story. Um, then you come to the US, and you know the US are very gregarious, very outgoing, they're high-fiving every five minutes. Um, they appear quite warm, they're loud, um, you know, and, and they're a very warm and welcoming nation. Um, so you get the two polars there. And then it's interesting, I think, that even geographically, or well not quite, but Australia sort of sits in the middle there. Mm -hmm. And I think we're exactly like that, where, you know, a very warm and open nation, but yet at the same time, there is a side of us that is also quite reserved as well, that British side to us. Mm -hmm. So there are definite cultural differences, obviously not in just food and clothing and the way that we... Um, obviously interact with each other, but also in language as well. So the accents are definitely different. And as an Australian that comes to America, sometimes the Americans don't get exactly what it is that I'm saying, and they find it novel when I walk out on a stage and say, g'day. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, it's exactly the same in the UK. Like, you know, they speak more of the Queen's English and the proper English. So from a communication point of view, I do find myself inadvertently and naturally slightly changing my tonality and slightly changing the way that I speak in those countries. So you're consciously adapting how you act and how you behave dependent on the environment that you put yourself in? Yeah, absolutely. Like when, when did you learn to do that, to adapt? 
Um, I learned to do that actually many years ago when I first learned one of the tools of communication, which was neuro-linguistic programming. It's one of the tools of many that I have as a coach, as a speaker, as a trainer, as a motivator, whatever you want to call me. Um, you know, and we talk about rapport. So building rapport is building a connection with someone. And we tend to do it unconsciously anyway. But as a speaker, as a communicator who wants to influence a room, um, I learned to do that once I consciously made that decision. Mm. Um, and I should just point out here that I don't only just do that in culturally as well, I might do that through age groups as well. So with a younger guy, I might be like, yo, dude, what's going on? Mm -hmm. um, and that's just a rapport building concept. Uh, obviously, I wouldn't do that with a slightly more mature person. Nice. Yeah. So in your adjustment process, in, in that learning that you had over these uh, many years of working on stage and with larger crowds, um, have you ever failed to adjust in proper time? Yeah, I have to say probably the, yes, definitely. Probably the biggest, like where I've really messed it up probably the most uh, is actually in Asian culture. Mm -hmm. um, because Asian culture is very different and they're very different in their protocols usually around touch. And uh, there's a lot of um, religious Muslims in Asia. So obviously as a speaker, one of the things that we get people to do is we get people to massage and we get people to hug. And that just doesn't go down well in Asian culture, yeah. generally speaking. And also they just don't really quite get the jokes uh, in Asian culture. So it, it, doesn't, it just doesn't translate that well. Mm -hmm. um, and how do you recover? Like I remember one time I told like a joke about Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton in the US. And you know, I've told that joke in the UK and I've told that joke in the US. And you know, you tell the joke in the UK and where you normally get a laugh, there's just a deadpan silence, like they're waiting for something else to happen. Mm -hmm. So I just end up having to laugh at myself because that's all that you can do. Um, it does become unnerving though, because as a presenter, as a speaker, you do have some material that's, that you go, oh yeah, I know this is gonna la get a little gag here and this is gonna get that response there. And, and then when you suddenly get thrown off like that, you're like, okay, I don't know what I'm gonna get anymore. Mm -hmm. So I've just gotta go with it. Well, in, in that moment, you're completely vulnerable, right? You've totally exposed yourself and... And um, looked like an idiot. <laughs> yes, and is, isn't that sometimes helpful to, to admit to the failure and to be open and, and show the wound and, and be okay with it and let the audience know that, hey, I screwed up and this is who I am and just take me with all the mess that I am? Yeah, absolutely. D definitely on one level, for sure. Um, and my, I remember when that happened to me, um, was that as a professional speaker, um, it's my responsibility <coughs> to do a little bit of research beforehand mm. about what is acceptable and what is not uh, is what unacceptable norms as well. Sometimes I will do my research and I will um, say, hey, look, they tell me that over here in the UK, you guys are reserved. Well, let's find out about that. So sometimes I find out whether those things are true in order to break down mm -hmm. those stereotypical boundaries. And um, you find that people are quite quick to want to prove otherwise. Nice. You, you told me earlier that wherever you go, people um, are quick to tell you about the stere stereotypes of themselves. So you come to California and people will tell you, oh, we Californians are, or the Californians are like, and then they go down the laundry list of, of stereotypes. And how often do you find that that you do that yourself as an Australian, that you tell people, okay, we Australians are seen as such, and here I am. Yeah, 
That's a, a, a yeah. Again, I will literally when I walk out onto a stage, um, you know, when people say, "Oh, he's all the way from Australia," you know, the classic thing I will always do is actually play to that stereotype briefly. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll walk out on the stage and say "Good day," and everyone kind of laughs because mm-hmm. everybody associates that with Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll you know talk in my normal Australian accent, which you're hearing now. But then I'll also just ham it up a little bit and say, all right, we're going to have a great time here. We're going to throw a shrimp on the barbie and crack open a couple of tinnies and let's get going, mate. You beaut Australia. Now, I actually don't really know that many Australians that speak like that. (laughs) Not personally, anyway. There are, but it's just not really how we generally speak. Mm -hmm. But I like to play on that stereotype and like to ham up that stereotype, either as the presenter or also working towards the um, audience as well. Well... The stereotypes that you just mentioned about Australia, they all seem to be rather um, likable. They're the often called the positive stereotypes. Um, what do you do when, when you work with other cultures and you realize that there are some negative stereotypes around your, um, your nationality or your cultural background and you have to battle those? I think there's a, a time and a place to bring those negative stereotypes to the surface mm-hmm. and to discuss those negative stereotypes. And uh, only when I feel comfortable enough to do that, um, and all for the purpose of maybe getting people to consider whether that stereotype is accurate, inaccurate, and does it most importantly serve them as a culture. Mm-hmm. So again, I kind of gave the example here in Australia talking about one of our, one of a better word, negative stereotypes in Australia, which is um, the tall poppy syndrome. So in Australia, we love the Aussie battler, but once you get reach a certain level of success, Um, we consider that person to be arrogant and almost want to pull them down. So that's a bit of a negative stereotype. It's the tall poppy syndrome? Tall poppy syndrome. So if, 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 for those who don't understand what that means, so that's the poppy flower that grows taller than the rest of the field? That's that right. Okay? Oh, and right. so then we want to come along and chop that, mm-hmm. that poppy flower down. So we, don't want you, we want you to be successful, but not too successful. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of changing a little bit in Australia. So I do tend to sometimes bring stereotypes to the surface so that we can discuss them and all for the purpose of actually eliminating those stereotypes. So uh, again... You know, I'm in Atlanta this time. It's the first time I've been in Atlanta. And I really hadn't given it too much thought in regards to what's Atlanta about. And then I get here and people kind of say to me, oh, you're in Atlanta, you're in the Bible Belt, you're down south. And so all of a sudden these things come to your mind. And, you know, so you might hear a little bit, I'm going to do such a really bad job at this, but you might hear a bit more of a drool in the way I'm like, hell yeah, I love you. Like, and that's just playing to the stereotype a little bit yep. in fun, in jest, and just for the sake of, you know, everybody having a good time. Right. Yeah. So th- this works well if English is the common denominator because you have a common playground that you can... Um, Uh, approach each other on yes so I know you also do a lot of business in in Asian markets not so much uh, with uh, speaking and and training and coaching but also with with your other business that you have Mm. so you deal with customers suppliers um, vendors in Southeast Asia so where English is not the common language where you have to actually cross a language gap in order to do business how has it been for you in, in, in that arena Um, Well, I've done both speaking and presenting in Asian cultures, and yes, I do have another business that I have to work with, Chain Supply, over there, Um, and I do have a translator that I have to work with over there. Um, So a couple of things is, 
uh, if in Asia, I've now learned to do a little bit of research. I've re learned to do a little bit of research about what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. So, for example, if you have a meal um, with a business colleague, um, they pay for the meal. They're basically hosting you while you're there. And for you to offer to pay for that meal is almost a sign of disrespect. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, from a language point of view, I know it sounds silly, but it goes a long way, I think, anywhere universally around the world. If you just throw in a couple of words, like, yep. you know, in Asia, I'm like, ni hao, um, which is uh, hello, um, or thank you. I can't remember how to say thank you now in, in Chinese. Um, but they appreciate that. They think yep. it's funny that you're putting in a little bit of effort. Or, um, you know, my business partner that uh, went with, me, with me, me on this trip, like the Chinese like to smoke. And again, they see that as a sign of respect. Mm -hmm. And so my business partner doesn't really smoke, but he'll have a cigarette with the colleagues that we're there with, again, just to show respect. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you sit down and people offer you tea at a tea ceremony. You probably got like a hundred other things that you want to be doing and not have a 20 minute tea ceremony, but you still do those things anyway. Mm -hmm. So all of these things are, you know, blending into the cultural norms for two reasons. Number one, you get to experience something different and something new. You get to have a little bit of fun and ultimately for respecting their culture. I think sometimes uh, as a sweeping generalization, I think sometimes Americans get a bit of a bad rap as tourists because if you, the, just by the way the Americans pronounce their R's, it opens up the back of their throats and so they've got like these really loud voices and so they, um, they're immediately out of rapport with the people who they travel with. Um, and then again, as a sweeping generalizations, as we all tend to do to some degree, even when we travel, we tend to seek out, you know, the familiar foods that you're used to. So you go to uh, Asia, but I still want to try and find Italian food. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Americans, again, to sweeping generalizations, but Americans do the same. It's like they go to Asia and they're like, I just want a burger. And it's like, well, you're not going to get a burger in Asia. So trying to blend in and respecting the culture and respecting the, yeah, the traditions of the people is, is a good thing to do. Right. You mentioned Italian food, and I have to ask you this because I know you're of Italian descent. Um, and I know here in the United States, uh, a lot of people still put a lot of emphasis on where they're from. They, they will tell you, I'm Irish-American, or I'm Italian, or I'm Chinese-American, or I have German ancestry, or Polish, or Russian. Is that as important in Australia as it is here in North America, where you're from, or where uh, your ancestors are from? Yeah, not, not to me. Uh, not to me. I mean, no, not really. Not, not in Australia. I think predominantly because our population, I mean, certainly there's always heritage that people are proud of. Like, and certainly people will say, oh, I'm Lebanese, or I'm Italian, or I'm Greek. But it's not a major thing. Right. I think Australians consider themselves to be Australians. I think maybe with larger populations, like in America and in the UK, especially in the UK, because you have s such a melting pot of Europe, so you get a lot of influence coming through. Um, and in the U US, I've noticed that people are a lot more like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, loyal to their state and loyal to where they right. come from, purely because of the sheer population. Right. What about the differences between Aussies and Kiwis? Um, for those that are not familiar, that you're, you're so close and you sound very much alike, but <laughs> every, every New Zealander that I've met said, no, we don't sound like Australians <laughs> and vice versa. How, how would you describe that dynamic? Um, how would I describe that dynamic? I think you almost hit the nail on the head. We're so close, yet we are so far. 
Um, and there are so many similarities between Australia and, and New Zealand, but yet there are so many differences between Australia and New Zealand. I think probably the best analogy with that would be to define the relationship between Canadians and Americans. Nice. So, so close, yet so far. They kind of love each other, but at the same time, they don't want to have anything to do with each other. Okay. It's exactly the same there. Okay, so um, last question because I have to. Mm. Um, Aussie rules or rugby? <laughs> um, neither. Australian fashion show. Ah, oh, there we go. <laughs> but if I had to pick one, it'd be rugby. <laughs> All right. Well, then, so, sorry about the last one. That's then. fine. <laughs> well, Johnny, thank you. It was a pleasure. Um, before I let you go, um, if you had one nugget, one tidbit for people who cross cultures, either professionally or for leisure, or just because they're moving countries, what of what you learned in your life experience, what would be a good advice for those who become sojourners or become expatriates? Uh, well, I think if you become an expatriate as opposed to a traveler, that's two very different things. Yes. Yeah. So are you asking as an expatriate or... Expatriate. Let's, let's stick with that. I, I think if you... Uh, like, for, okay, so I lived in the UK for five years and I, you know, do as much as you can while you're in that country. So live and embrace where you're at rather than comparing and saying, oh, well, this is how we do it back in Australia and we don't have that in Australia and we don't have this in Australia because eventually you may go back to Australia and then you go, oh, I wish I'd done more of that mm -hmm. or embraced more of that while I was over there. So just fully live the experience and be present to where you're at as much as possible. So more curiosity, less judgment. Well said. All right, awesome. Johnny, thank you so much for being on the program. I really appreciate you taking time for this. And how do people find you if they want to interact with you? How do they find you? Yeah, the best place to get me, there's a couple of places. You could either get me on Facebook, so that's Johnny Cass, J-O-H-N-N-I-E-C-A-S-S, or you can also check me out on www.johnnycass.com. I'll make sure to post the links in the show notes so people know how to get a hold of you or learn more about what you do. Perfect. Thanks, Christian. Johnny, thank you so much. And, well, good luck with everything you do. Thanks, man. Likewise. My man, Johnny Kaz, he is quite the world traveler. Please check the show notes for the links to Johnny Cass's web properties, his website johnnycass.com, his Facebook, his Facebook fan page, his Twitter. There's many ways that lead to Rome, I was about to say. Many ways that lead to Sydney, many ways that lead to Johnny Cass. The blending in part, that is what many of us struggle with sometimes. You're in that different environment, you notice your behavior is different. How do you blend in without making a fool of yourself? It takes practice, people. It doesn't come overnight. It takes practice.
practice, and ideally this practice comes with somebody that you trust that can coach you through this, um, either a cultural coach or a cultural mentor. This could be somebody that works with you in your company, somebody who's been to that foreign location a little longer than you have. That could be an external coach, somebody like the stuff that we do at The Culture Mastery. Check us out online, theculturemastery.com. Um, yes, you should work with us, but there's many others out there. I'm, I'm not going to force myself on you. I just encourage you to get somebody that has done this before and then can guide you along the way, that can pace you along this and challenge you to try out new things so you can blend in better. So this is it for today with Johnny Cass. Go find us online. Find me on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter at Hoferle, which is the at symbol and then H-O-E-F-E-R-L-E. Find us online at theculturemastery.com. That's HTTP and all the stuff in front of it, theculturemastery.com. And tune in next time. We got a lot of interesting guests coming your way. Um, we have somebody from Hawaii. We have a world traveler that I can't even tell you where he's from, but he's summarized it all in his book that was just released recently. We have people from around the world that will be on this program. So make sure you subscribe to this podcast, either through your Android or your iTunes or your Stitcher or just Come visit us on the blog, theculturemastery.com forward slash blog. That's where you find all the episodes, all the past episodes. And we'll talk more about what it is like to cross cultures, what we can learn from it, how we can make mistakes and own them and improve our behaviors afterwards. All right. It was a pleasure having you with us this time. And we'll talk again soon. Oh,